This is Splice. Good morning, everybody. Hey, Deborah. And Aaron's already in there. And John I got, Baptiste. I downloaded Telegram for you guys. Oh, oh nice. <laughs> Telegram, I hope you're listening. That's right. How about a sponsorship? <laughs> I know, right? Good morning, guys. Um, this is the first time I've done like a group voice chat like this over Telegram. Hey, this it's is only, only the second time. <laughs> second time, sorry. Alan and I are still getting getting used to the lag. Do you guys do you guys have that little lag happening? Um, you you seem to be coming through pretty clear for me. Okay, good. I like Min Chong's message. It says. Uh, Warning may cause burns. Nice. <laughs> Let me just quickly send a message out to the group. This is a whole different uh, experience than uh, than doing Google Meet for, for Splice Beta, that's for sure. It feels more relaxed, that's for sure. Oh my god, Mary Scott, my, my old colleague, is here. Mary, so nice to see you there. Hey, Mary. Mary probably wasn't expecting to be called on as she walked in the door. I know. <laughs> Here we are in the business Hi. of putting people on the spot. Sorry, I was just going to quietly um, eavesdrop. <laughs> How are you? I'm good. How are you? Very good. It's been uh, over a years? decade. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. Longer than that, I think. Right. When did you leave CNBC? 2009. Okay, uh, and I left in 2006. Yeah. So that might be. Wow. Yeah. Gosh. Yeah. I can't yeah, even do the math time. on that one. But that's mm. that's a long time. You still in Singapore? I am. Yes. Good. Um, for now. Um, yeah. I mean, we came back in 2009, and we've been here since then. Very since good. Moved. Yeah. Yeah. And you're still here, obviously. I am still here. Yeah. Holding it together. Doing well, from what I see. Oh, we're enjoying it. It's uh, It's been quite an amazing year. Yes. It's been yeah. an interesting year. <laughs> Very good. Should we get started, Rashad? Go for it. Okay, everybody. Thanks for coming back. This is our second um, edition of uh, Splice Lo-Fi. I'm still trying to, to wrap my head around that that name. Um, thanks for uh, for being a part of this. It's uh, it's our little experiment around um, how something like this could work as a live audio format um, that, that we do on a weekly basis where we talk about stuff that has come up uh, in this past week. And also, you know, most importantly, we want to hear from from all of you and see what what you've been working on. So what we're going to do is, um, you know, we should tell you that this is being recorded. Uh, if you want to be taken off the record, just let us know. We'll edit you out in post. Uh, we're planning to to put this out on the internet as an audio file. Um, you know, in, in stories that accompany uh, what Deborah's saying, or you know, in various places like like Telegram and stuff. Um, let us know if you don't want to be in there. Uh, pop pop a message into the Telegram chat. Otherwise, this uh, recording will go out on the internet as is. 
Speaking of recordings, uh, we finally got our interview with uh, with the Centrum out this week. Uh, so if you haven't had a chance to to download that podcast, uh, check it out on wherever you get your podcasts. Um, that was actually quite an interesting one, Rashad, just because you know it's not every day that we think about what's going on in Pakistan and and the difficulties that that are out there. You know, when it comes to to building a media business. Yeah, we had uh, Talha Ahad. Um, and Alexa Greenwald from Centrum. And I love how candidly they spoke about how difficult it was to run a journalism business, but how naturally just uh, bringing stories, the untold stories was to them. And I think it's in this dichotomy that we find some relevance, you and I, uh, Alan, because we're, we, we're fanboys of the media space, as, as you guys know. And and I think it, you know, it was exciting for us to hear of, about their growth. Speaking of growth, we are also trying something new. Um, we are creating a, a, a newsletter course. Uh, that's probably the easiest way of describing it. Uh, many of you have have reached out uh, over the past few months. You know, as as, as the pandemic uh, hit, um, asking what would be a great way to. Um, uh, to get started on a newsletter, uh, and of course, we've seen this trend with uh, with Substack. We know we know where this is headed. We're going to see a lot more journalists stepping out of traditional newsrooms, starting something on their own. And so, people are asking us, you know, how do you how do you go about creating a newsletter that that works and that engages with with the community? Uh, so we've we've created a um, uh, a workshop that we are going to be run running in a community space. Uh, called Splice, sorry, Planet Splice. Rashad, <laughs> help me out with this one. Yes, it's called Planet Splice. We're going to pop the link into the Telegram group after this. The newsletter course is free for now. It's a pretty cool little space. Um, you know, we can get the community in and, you know, we can chat to each other, we can write, we can, it's like a little uh, private Splice social network. We don't know how ready or not people are for it for yet another sub, sub, sub social network, but we'll see. Um, yeah, and, and that's a, the, the one thing that we want to test out of this, right? We want to know whether yeah. people will sign up, create a profile uh, in this space where they can then share links and they can share, you know, images. Uh, think of it as, as our own private little LinkedIn. Um, so we're, you know, we want to see whether that's going to work. So we put the, uh, the newsletter workshop in there um, just as a way to, to see if it gets any traction, uh, so we'll we'll pop the link into uh, into into the chat soon uh, for for Planet Splice. Uh, come sign up for that one. Tell us what you think. Rashad, let's bring on Deborah Augustine uh, from New Narrative. She's she's the boss of the membership program there, and we've always uh, you know those of us who know. Um, and are familiar with new narrative. We've we've always gotten Deborah's newsletters, which is always exciting. Um, Deborah, when you started three years ago, uh, this role wasn't actually even a thing, right? Yeah, I mean, I you know, you asked, you invited me to speak at Splice last year, and you know, I was a little bit unsure if I was the best person. I was like, you know. I, I, I 
sort of been figuring things out as I go along. And Alan was like, well, your job has kind of only existed for as long as you've had it. So that's fine. Um, <laughs> which which was like really interesting because I felt like, oh, you know, I'm like, I've always felt like in, in this particular role um, that, that I was coming at it with like really no experience in this particular field, but then it turns out nobody has. Um, so <laughs> yeah, so it's, it's I mean, Jobs like mine have only existed for about three years, which is really wild to think about. Yeah, so I I, I thought it was really interesting when, when we reached out to you to see whether we could get you to write that little case study that, that you did, uh, which is now published on, on Splice Media. Um, I thought it was really great to see how how that journey has evolved for you, uh, you know, stepping into a job that that really didn't have a job description at that point uh, to where it is today, and and the kind of questions that that you've been, you know, you've been you've been working into the community, right? So, mm -hmm. tell tell us in a, in a nutshell what was the one problem you needed to solve, uh, you know, as as you as you as you wrote it up in um, in the case study. I think in a nutshell, for new narrative in particular, is it was how to balance accessibility, so freedom of information and accessibility to our content with exclusivity, which is what membership is kind of hinged on. You know, I mean, people are not going to sign up for a membership unless there is some element of exclusivity, right? Because I mean, and, and, and I think this is something we're finding in our audience research. People who are not members yet, they're kind of like, well, you know, I mean, I can get all your content for free on on social media, which is what we do. We put a lot of our content for free on social media because we do believe in freedom of information. That's one of our, our values. And on our manifesto, you know, we do believe in educating and empowering people with information. So for us, it was how do you balance that value with the need to be sustainable through creating some kind of exclusivity in our membership? Right. And, and membership engagement manager, did, did you, do you end up um, sort of creating your own role as you went along? Were you writing, uh, kind of writing your own job description? Or yeah. did you start out with a bunch of um, objectives? I, I, I had very minimal sort of deliverables in the beginning. I had the, I had to organize one event in KL, which is where I'm, I'm based. This is obviously pre-pandemic, but yeah, I had to organize one event a month in KL and I sent out the weekly members newsletter. And even then, um, there was a little bit of like figuring out the newsletter part of it because there was the members newsletter that I was sending out. And at the time, um, our editor-in-chief, Kristen, was also sending out a newsletter. So it was like, how do we differentiate these two newsletters? Um, you know, in some ways it feels more exclusive to have the editor in chief writing a newsletter, right? So shouldn't that be the one that goes to the members? Um, and and so there were there was a lot of tweaking even with just that, like which day do we send the members newsletter out versus the one that goes to subscribers that's written by Kristen. Um, and then, so yeah, but those were my two deliverables in the beginning of the job. And then it started to evolve on my own. You know, some of it was also, you know, uh, like I think as in the beginning as well, PJ was like, 
part of your job is to network with other civil society organizations and and see where we can build collaborations. So, and I'd still do that. I still write the weekly members newsletter as you you both mentioned. And I, um, I do organize an event a month, but that's now online rather than in, in person in KL. Um, but yeah, now this audience research element of it is in the in the job, which wasn't there at all, and which we didn't really know how to do until last year. So yeah, I mean, it, it's 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 uh, and it's really been about how to figure out through audience research how we can be more exclusive. So so talk me through this. You know, I'm I'm I was I was so excited to read that uh, that case study. In fact, Ariel uh, Zerolnik of the membership puzzle project um, jumped on that, and she was excited about that um, as well. Um, unfortunately, it's probably a little too late for her to have joined, um, but I know she listened to the this recording. I'm curious that you said that you know it was that this entire thing hinged around making membership feel exclusive, you mm -hmm. know, like to be a member of new narrative in this spe specific use case meant that you needed to find that element of exclusivity. So, so talk us through how you funneled those folks from subscribers to members to donors or, you know, right. I mean, I think it's, it's when you speak to members, you know, it's interesting when I was learning how to build these surveys, um, a lot of the questions are posed around, you know, you're trying to find out what would attract other people to the to the membership, right? So, so for example, when I was talking to members, uh, you want to find out what will bring other people to become members. But to do that, you need to figure out how these people who are already members became members. So the questions are kind of designed around that. So like, one, for example, one question is, do you have an idea of what would make more people become members? And the psychology behind that question is to find out what made them members, right? I mean, you, you can ask more direct questions like, oh, how did you first find out about your narrative? That's a very useful question, right? So if you're doing this kind of audience research with your own media startup, how did you find out about you know, people who are already aware of your brand or, or your product, how did you find out about us? That's a very useful question. But yeah, the, the question that I thought was interesting that was in the surveys was, what do you, do you have an idea that would make more people become members or sign up at higher tiers? And, and the psychology is, what would make you become a member or sign up at a higher tier? Um, so that that was a question that I was posing, especially this round um, about higher tiers, like what would make people upgrade to higher tiers? And some, you know, a lot of people were saying, obviously New Narrative has a network of experts and, and researchers that they are familiar with. And so, um, you know, maybe you could allow members to have access to them in some way, whether it's through, um, through panels or, um, you know, using, like, allowing some of them to be part of, like, the democracy classrooms that we already run, um, or, you know, yeah, just some of the speaker events. So, so we knew that, like, this network of, of experts that we have through our contributors and, you know, just through our own contacts as well was something we could leverage on, right? That was the exclusivity 
um, element. And then in the other one was also, you know, I think you also have to, through these questions, you understand who the new narrative subscriber is. And, um, and so like not all of them are motivated to subscribe at higher tiers because they'll get exclusive perks and content, right? Uh, which was a really interesting thing that I got from this round of audience research because you think that people will want to, what exclusivity means like you only get to do or get this product if you sign up at this price, right? That's I think how we think of exclusivity. But that's not really what new narrative subscribers want. They 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 tend to value, um, you know, like an anti-capitalist type um, model, which is I think you know in some ways that's what we've been trying to do, and that's why like our membership tiers at the moment don't allow you more privileges at the higher tier, right? Mm. And, and and people appreciate that. So people who are already members appreciate that they have access to all the same content, whether they pay 52 US dollars a year or 552 US dollars a year. Um, so so the, the answer that we got was that they would be willing to upgrade if they realized that doing that allowed more people to read our content. Yeah, tell tell me about about the role of content here. This is this is something that intrigues me a lot, right? I think um, we all have this view that if you are a media company, therefore you know your main product is content. What have you learned in this process about the role of content? Is this what people come for? You know, do they come for for the content and stay for something else, or is it something else and then stay for the content? I I think you can divide our members into two. Um, there are definitely people who come for the content and then, you know, they stay for the values, what we're fighting for, which is like, you know, as PJ likes to remind us, we're not just a media company, we're also an advocacy organization. We advocate for freedom of expression, freedom of information, and, you know, in, in a nutshell, a better Southeast Asia, right? And so I think some people come for the content and stay for that that we have these values and they and they agree with them and want to support that. And, and we have the other way around where people um, may not necessarily actually engage with our content, but they really support our values and, and they agree with what we're doing. Um, you know, they, they really do support freedom of expression and I, uh, and want to see more alternative voices. They, I, well, I think, <laughs> I don't know if I'm allowed to say this, but particularly I think in Singapore, that is definitely, I think, something our members feel that they want to see more alternative voices and they 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 feel like it's really important to support freedom of expression. So for them, the content secondary, but they, they think that we're doing something important in the space that we exist in. You know, one cool thing that you said, uh, and I'm, I'm, I'm actually reading from that case study, which as you can tell, I'm very excited by. Um, but one thing that you said over there was that you decided to frame a higher level of support as a way to make content accessible to people who can't afford memberships. Mm -hmm. So that, you know, one for all, all for one uh, attitude, I think is, is actually a great uh, way to frame support. You're not just supporting new narrative here. 
you're supporting an entire community by being a member, which I think makes a lot of sense, right? Sorry, I also just quickly wanted to say, um, you know, anybody else, JB, Aaron, Mary, uh, you know, please jump in with questions um, uh, whenever you like. Uh, just, just whenever you feel like uh, you have something to ask Deborah, go for it. Yeah, I'm happy to answer any questions um, about the process or yeah, like what it's been like for me to do membership engagement at Unarrative. Uh, I've got one question. You mentioned two type of subscribers, right, for Unarrative. Um, mm -hmm. Do you, in your internal products, do you split? Do you, do you know exactly who's who and who's uh, subscribing for what, thanks to the survey? Or uh, that's the aim of the survey as well? or, or how do you manage the duality for the, both for the editorial, but also for your your role in like managing subscriptions and kind of upselling? Mm -hmm. I think we don't really, in terms of the editorial, I don't think it's really, um, it necessarily, it feeds into that aspect of it, the, the two types of members. I mean, some people really, they don't even read what we publish, but they want to support us, which is a very interesting thing. And um, so what we have realized, though, is that especially in Singapore, um, some it's important to put out our work offline. Um, and, and some people have signed up for memberships because they read a book that we put out. So last, I think, yeah, last year, we put out a book called The Citizen's Agenda, which was a... Um, elections, Singapore elections related content. It was all on the website for free, um, but you could also buy it as a book. And um, it, it sold really well. A lot of people were very excited to buy it. And our election content last year in Singapore re did really, really well. Um, and But from buying the book, one person who I've talked to during my surveys was like, yeah, I, after I read the book, then I, I decided to sign up. And I don't really honestly read your content, but I, I think that you're worth supporting. So I've signed up for a membership. Um, so, you know, the people who fall into that second camp, they might not even be reading anything that we publish, but they but they do feel it's important to, um, to, to subscribe. So it's important to reach out to people like that through things like a, a one-off publication, you know, an annual publication of, of articles so that people can see um, what we're doing in that format. Um, and I would say, you know, it, it's, it's, I think it's maybe just helped us refine the marketing around what we're doing. You know, I mean, it's like reframing that yeah, your support doesn't just allow you access to the content, it allows other people to have access to to the content. And it, you know, um, and I think really framing how much labor goes into to putting out the content. I mean, we, we are a very small team. We only publish one news article a week, a new article a week. But because we're such a small team, that takes a lot of work. And so I think really making it clear that when you sign up as a member, you're helping to pay, pay freelancers, you're helping to pay the team members. Um, these are our operation costs. Like I think a lot of that's still very hidden on our website and um, 
you know, we are constantly working on the website. It's a it's a work in progress. And um, next week, hopefully, we'll be launching a new iteration of our website that is going to like, you know, kind of center a lot more of this kind of thing. So I think that the it hasn't really affected us editorially, but I think it's it's really helped us make it clear why it matters to support us through through the the like knowing why you know people support us because if if someone's saying we support your values then you need to make sure that the values are front and center on the website that's really exciting to hear about your uh, your new website coming out i mean <laughs> I, as you can imagine rishad and i get really excited over over redesigns uh, especially around around mission uh, i think that's that's incredible so let's you know i i would love to to see that just let us know when uh when that's out uh, in the meantime are there any other questions for for deborah um i just want to be absolutely conscious of everyone's time this morning uh we'll try to wrap this up in about six more minutes uh it's aaron safir here i've got a quick question yep go for it aaron Hey guys, so just just for the context, um, I was with BBC World News in in the UK for uh, like a few years. I'm in Hong Kong and uh, uh, looking to stay in the kind of communications journalism industry. So obviously, um, I come Deborah from a, an environment where kind of journalism is is more or less free and speech is fairly free. And I just wonder when it comes to you looking for your uh, subscribers, readers, how how important is that context that you're not perhaps in, in as free a society when it comes to kind of writing about the powerful? I mean, does that draw people in? Uh, or is that something you have, you don't really want to put out too much in your, in your marketing? How does that play into things? Um, we definitely, I think we do try to, to center that, you know, we are about freedom of information. Like it, it is part of our, um, our manifesto, and I think it has been part of our and, and in our upcoming marketing drive, we will be talking about, you know, ways in which our stories have impacted um, civil society. For example, um, part of the reason we're sort of de facto banned in Singapore is that uh, we we had organized democracy classrooms where uh, Singaporeans were encouraged to write in about the upcoming, at the time, the upcoming um, Prevention of Online Falsehoods and Manipulation Act, or POFMA, which we've been hit with a couple of times. Um, so, you know, we, we encouraged people to, to, to write in and, and express their concerns. And um, that then led to us being de facto banned. And we've been, since the law has come into effect, we've been hit with that a POFMA notice twice, um, and you know our our co-founder PJ and managing director. He's been questioned by the police a few times, um, so it's definitely part of the messaging that we end up being harassed basically for for the things that we believe in. So we don't we don't shy away from that at all. Um, and I think you know in in Malaysia we've seen our friends at Malaysia Kini. Um, they've also been hit with, uh, like, they were fined recently half a million ringgit uh, for comments that were left on their website. Not even something they wrote, but things that readers had, like, said. 
and um, people were were galvanized and and they were able to collect enough money to pay that fine within the day. You know, I initially when I was like, oh God, half a million ringgit, like how are they going to pay that? But people really mobilized. So I think that it's it's a strength that we are um, doing something. People do support. Maybe they don't always advertise it, but like I, I think when it counts, people have stepped up and, and supported different media organizations in the region. I mean, in in Sing I mean, the first time PJ was questioned uh, last year, we got a lot of donations. I mean, we got almost a month's operation costs in donations the first time he was questioned by the police. So um, it's not necessarily a bad thing to shy away from advertising that you do this. I mean, I, I think it depends on the organization, right? And it, and But yeah, I think for us, we, we are pretty loud and proud about the fact that we stand for freedom of expression. Great. All right. On that note, we're going to bring this one to uh, to a, to a close. But before that, um, are there any opportunities out there that anyone wants to announce? If you're doing a program, for example, or running a workshop, this is a great place to uh, to get that message across the community. Um, is anyone working on something interesting that you want to you want to share? Um, can I plug something, Alan? Please go for it. Yeah, so as part of our um, audience research, what we we came, I mean, if you'll see in the piece, we came to the conclusion that our events going forward are going to be member only. Um, and so our first member only event is happening next Friday at 8.30 p.m. Malaysia time. And it's going to be a panel with um, three young people who are involved with lowering the voting age in Malaysia from 21 to 18. We've got Kira Yusri, who's a co-founder of Undi 18, which advocated for the, the law to be changed. And we've got um, two 18, I, well, I'm not sure if they're 18, but they're two young people who are between the ages of 18 to 21 who will who are suing the Malaysian government for the right to vote um, and and for the the voting age to be lowered from from 21 to 18 and the the information is going to go live on our social media at about noon today so very soon um, and if you're not a member you can join new narrative for a week or a month at us one dollar or um, five dollars if you if you just want access to this particular event and you know a short-term, access to our content you can do that all right great um so with that just wanted to thank you deborah for taking the time uh first of all to write that piece and uh, secondly to share your your knowledge around this stuff i uh, also want to acknowledge some of the people who've kind of just joined us in the last few minutes here um our good friend karen uh namka lee thanks for uh thanks for dropping in Rishan. Yep. And uh, listen, guys, please come back uh, next week. We we're, we have Heather Chen at Vice talking about her work and her career. Um, we're just checking in with people who we, we we're curious about. And we come be curious with us and, and give us your questions and your comments. Um, we're learning from you. Uh, Thank you so much, Deborah. Thank you so much for everybody uh, uh, for turning up. This is getting better and better. No problem. Thanks for having me. All right. Thanks, Thanks everyone. Have a great weekend.
All right. Take care, everybody. Bye. This is Splice.